0: interestingness, man. I've always been pro-technology. I used to get in fights with my English teacher where it's like, we cut down all the trees as long as we figure out a way to replicate tree artificially. I don't think we'd ever know that the tree went extinct. He was like, that's ridiculous. I'm like, you're ridiculous. (laughs) Boys and girls, your attention please. Presenting a new exciting radio program, faster than an airplane, more powerful than a locomotive. Impervious to bullets. Hello
1: and welcome to the Thought Bubble, a podcast about comics and comics-adjacent culture. I'm Joanna Robinson.
0: And I'm Dave Gonzalez.
1: If you're just joining us for the first time, we're here to answer your questions about all things comics. Dave here is our so-called expert, and I'm your friendly neighborhood novice. But this podcast is meant for comics lovers of all levels. If Dave wants to go in-depth or spoilery about a particular answer, he'll do so in our advanced section that comes at the end of each episode with ample warming. So don't worry. If you have a question for us please shoot us an email at bubbleyourthoughts at gmail.com you can find all of our old episodes at fightinginthewarroom.com comics so without further ado let's get on with the show it's Tuesday, February 17th, and this is issue number 13. Uh, I hope you enjoyed issue 12.1 last week. We actually got a lot of really positive feedback about that all Sp- Spider-Man, sorry, all Spider-Man all the time podcast. Dave once again killed it with the theme music. So if you didn't listen to that last week, that that was the maybe the best Dave Gonzalez theme music I've ever heard in my life.
0: So. Sick mix. I <laughs> just just found it looking through the internet, listening to tons of Spider-Man themes.
1: Yeah, but you, you edited it in so perfectly,
0: so good. Oh, yeah. I would do. I you you too can find interesting Spider Man theme remixes with Google and SoundCloud. <laughs>
1: um, all right, so we're gonna kick off by talking about a little bit of news before we get to your great great questions. A lot of them are from last week because we didn't answer general questions last week. So, uh, but before we get to those, yeah, first we want to start with this alleged X-Men apocalypse or, or concept art image that was circulating this morning. I took a look at it, almost emailed Dave to ask him what it was, but I do that basically every day. So I thought I'd give Dave a break, but then he came at me and told me what it was. So Dave, do you want to talk to people about this image and what it, what it means, what your larger extrapolation is?
0: Oh, this is the Brian Singer Instagram concept art image that I appears is the uh, sentient AI entity ship, which would imply that that is Apocalypse uh, standing, being obscured by the exhaust, Uh, and he's in gold armor, which I thought was very Thanos-like, which is interesting, because that's sort of the other bluish, grayish, giant person uh, who, uh, this Thanos, Apocalypse, and Darkseed, who is DC, who are all like sort of similar-looking characters, but I had a long-standing joke with Katie Rich from my other podcast that when Darkseed, you know, turns around and smiles at the end of whatever movie, uh, probably, you know, a Batman v Superman or a Justice League, that... Uh, that's going to complete the the, the Triforce, the Triforce of turning around gray smiling men that have, like, zero character backing up to their their debut. Does Apocalypse,
1: like, smile at the camera? Isn't he just focusing on not dropping the pyramids or whatever it is that he's juggling?
0: That's true. He doesn't smile, but there's a very similar turn of the face as we swing around him to see the four horsemen in the background, just so we know that it's Apocalypse in case we couldn't tell what they were chanting. But... I, I'm just saying the gold armor is interesting. It's an interesting direction, especially since uh, Thanos sort of looks like he could go in that direction as he gets more and more refined before he shows up in Infinity War, and is full, uh, re- fully realized and gets up out of that chair maybe.
1: Yeah. So Dave is saying that he's worried Apocalypse is going to look a little too similar to uh, Thanos, uh, just armor wise at least. Great two gray dudes, psychotic gray dudes, and gold armor. So. Yeah. Uh the the prince elf prince from Hellboy did it first, but you know,
0: he was Well, uh, yeah, that's true. And it is gonna be Oscar Isaacson there, so yeah. may- maybe completely different looking than a uh, completely CGI, bulky chin based character.
1: <laughs> um all right, the next bit of news is casting news, and that is Joel Kinneman is likely the replacement Rick Flag in the Suicide Squad, replacing Tom Hardy who dropped out. I have a couple thoughts on this. I think earlier I complained about Suicide Squad being too too many A-listers. I really liked Joel Kinnaman. I loved him in The Killing. Uh I don't know that I saw his RoboCop, so I can't really speak to sort of his uh, you know, cinematic presence, but as a lead in The Killing, that show had problems, but one of them was it was not Joel Kinnaman. He was great. Um what i wanted i think in the suicide squad was more of a marvel approach was which was give me actors that we haven't seen a lot of and let them really lean into that character rather than make it will smith and tom hardy and all these all these actors that we already know um but that being said <laughs> once they've cast tom hardy and he drops out going to joel kinnaman does feel like budget not even but to tom hardy that's like you know it's -hmm. it's it's going from a list to c list or b list i don't know where you want to put joel kinnaman but i quite like him if he does i don't think it's finally confirmed but if he does finally get confirmed as rick flag you know i have nothing against that casting and concept but it does have a, a weird fan reaction stigma to it and maybe we shouldn't give a crap about that but anyway your thoughts dave
0: Uh, Knowing what we think we know about Rick Flagg's part uh, in Suicide Squad drastically being reduced, and that's sort of why Tom Hardy walked away uh, because all of a sudden there's a... Harley Quinn and a Joker and a Will Smith deadshot um, on the table. So it would seem that Joel Kinnaman isn't so much a budget Tom Hardy as just a reduced part Tom Hardy. So like Tom Hardy, Tom Hardy's silhouette, but you don't have to have him back it up with a whole bunch of performance. So um, which Joel
1: Kinnaman can bring, he's just not bringing star power. So Rick Flagg is well. Is Rick Flag's also like, really
0: he's really important in Suicide Squad and for the eventual what we think is the reversal of that film, which I'll leave out here. But I mean, it's not not a meaty part. Everything in Suicide Squad, they're constructing it to be you know this big ensemble piece. But it's just there's not as much of it as there was when Tom Hardy signed on without seeing a script. Okay. So Joe Kinnaman, I think, is a great middle ground, and I'm glad to see him get something that isn't a abused RoboCop script to work with.
1: <laughs> he is great. He deserves any role they want to throw at him personally, I think. So, uh, you know, once, <sighs> once you hear that guy talk and then realize that he's actually uh, Swedish, I believe, it's amazing because, yeah. He, and he's like, yeah, the killing. What a what a shit show, and what a great performance throughout that shit show from Joel Kinnaman. So, uh, all right, and then we want to talk quickly about Gotham, which is something that neither of us are watching, but we can't really ignore that the alleged, supposed, possible introduction of the Joker that happened this week. Uh, Dave is firmly in the camp: this is not the Joker because it's too obvious that it's the mm-hmm. joker uh, but well, well, wait, uh, wait 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 uh, wait for it yeah, okay. let me just finish this so actor cameron monahan who is uh ian gallagher on shameless played a someone some recap called it um a primal fear moment you know so he plays this sort of quivering mild-mannered uh, orphan and then he has this reveal at the end where he is completely psychotic and he pulls these ghoulish faces and does the joker laugh basically i watched the scene um his two scenes and if they are going to cast a young joker i think cameron monahan is a good pick he can't he couldn't possibly be a super regular because he has i think because he has such a big role on shameless but um he's also mentally unbalanced on shameless so that's interesting but uh yeah so dave tell me your your objections and your thoughts
0: well the next episode's called the red hood right right so here we are back at the thing that I said was making me feel weird about them doing both of these characters that everybody said I was wrong about. But here we are. The possible Joker shows up the episode before the possible Red Hood. I don't think it's in any way possible. This is the actual Joker. First of all, and primarily because a Batmanless Joker is pointless. You might as well just have a psychopath. And Gotham needs to be more grounded in that saying, I think you described them last week as like tripping over backstories to like uh, I think you said tricking me over enigmas and I think you meant that as a pun for Enigma so I did, good, I did. good for that <laughs> um, uh, but yeah totally caught on to that a week later and you're completely right it like I would love for this to be a joker red herring uh, that it becomes like about a psychopath. Uh, and then, like like I said to you on chat, it's like this is the sort of thing where it's like we think he's the joker for seasons and seasons, but because a Batmanless joker is like pointless, this is like somehow related. This is a serial killer madman that is somehow related to the real joker's history. so like uh Tim Burton. Uh, reformed the Joker to uh, be the person that shot Batman's parents. This is just another reforming of the Joker's origin story. I don't think it's actually the Joker because I don't think you can gain anything from that character that isn't connected directly to Batman.
1: So we are talking about a show that neither of us watch and um, we're talking about a showrunner that I don't really know a lot about. But the showrunner did say in interviews that... um, That this isn't a bait-and-switch that this may or may not be the joker but it's also not a bait-and-switch that could literally mean anything we don't know but and i agree with you that as far as storytelling tropes go like it it shouldn't be the joker he shouldn't be the joker but then maybe you double back around and that means he should be the joker do you know? He's too early. It's too early to be the Joker. It shouldn't be the first guy who gives off a Joker laugh, right? That should be a red herring. But
0: Well then they were also talking about how it like earlier on in the development of Gotham, they were thinking about introducing multiple possible jokers. Right. So it's like this could just be another more likely one. Or then you know, if like if I really want to give them too much credit, introduce a whole bunch of people that like show parts of the Joker and show how like the Joker is an idea that Gotham summons, much like Batman is an idea that Ooh. Gotham summons. Like I would love that. Like have this sort of like echo heartbeat thing where it's like these things need to come to a head in Gotham and they will forever and ever. And that that's more interesting to me then like hey where's the scarecrow coming from hey he was around earlier than batman that we didn't know about that before it's like oh, who, whatever <laughs> but uh, all this is all of this is to say that i'm not watching gotham now but i'm still paying enough attention to it right. and it's like totally something that i can marathon off season if it ends up being super important it's and on it's on our radar it has cool ways it has cool ways to manifest itself I'm just I'm wary. I think a lot of this is advertising because they're like, oh, man, we better get the Joker on here so people watch Got Him.
1: <laughs> Um Yeah, and, I mean, Cameron Monaghan's performance was over the top but what isn't in that show, but um, or in Batman in general, right? But um, what I will say is that if I had been watching that episode and not known anything about it, I would have been absolutely riveted by that scene. Uh, having already known that this is, you know, that's why I watched the scene is because I sort of read a lot of the post uh, episode articles, but also seeing that uh, they teased it before, you know, Cameron Monaham's going to be on tonight and maybe he's the Joker was something that was going on online. And, and I think that's to the episode's disservice. Like I understand that this is not everyone is on the internet 24 seven, the way that you and I are. So there's plenty of people who would have missed that, but also it's the way that things are advertised now is just they're the, They're teased in a way that I just don't think necessarily services the ultimate storytelling. I'd much rather watch that episode thinking, well, this is a weirdly subdued performance from this actor who I know from Shameless and then be surprised and delighted by him being a super weirdo in his last scene.
0: I don't know. And then like the the weird, uh, I don't know. The weird thing is, is that it would be better for the show but more difficult to pull off if they do make their own Joker and he does work and it's not the one from the comics, but it's one that works in the show and one that is still recognizably Joker. Like that would be amazing. I'm just saying, I don't know if anybody could pull that off in any medium because of who the Joker is in pop culture. Right. So it's more likely that they're just cashing in on uh, a possible joker red herring as much as possible. So like I don't know, Gotham's still on that line where it's like they're they're mad geniuses or they're lucky idiots, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know which one.
1: Well, and we're going to talk about this a little bit more later on with a different character, but this idea of having a Jared Leto Joker on, you know, in the movie theaters at the same time you have Cameron Monahan or whoever on Gotham, it's sort of interesting to think about, um, who's the right corollary. Do you, do you go with someone who evokes Jared Leto or do you go with someone in a completely opposite direction to distance yourself? If you are as DC plans to do have different, uh, you know, big screen versus small screen versions of characters. So it's just a question. Uh, we're going to talk. We're also going to talk a little bit more about DC in this episode. I pro- that's a promise from us to you. But the next, uh, the next bit of news, just to mention briefly, is I think we mentioned a couple weeks ago that Sci-Fi was looking at picking up Constantine if it got canceled off of NBC. Its own uh, sci- NBC owned Sci-Fi, specifically, so would be shuffled over, retitled as Hellblazer maybe be a little bit edgier than it's allowed to be on NBC. This has been exposed as a balderdash rumor. So that's not happening. So Constantine's fate is still up in the air, but whatever happens, it's not going to sci-fi. So that's some bad news for Constantine fans. And the last bit of news has to do with Marvel. This is just a a little self-serving bit of news because it makes me really happy, which is that Adrian Palicki, who plays Mockingbird, has been moved up to a series regular. I love her. So I'm really excited for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. to come
0: back. Yeah. I mean, her, she's awesome in everything she does. Her Wonder Woman her was horrible, but that, that was, was not her fault. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she committed to something horrible, which is admirable, especially in something that never gets broadcast. So I'm all for it. She even made G.I. Joe better. Like, there's nothing. This this woman gets stuck in projects like, what, Priest, was it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah where she and, played like uh,
1: a pregnant woman on the run yeah yeah who like pregnant with with the chosen one i don't know this is all Something extrapolated like from trailers so
0: i mean i saw that movie that was one of two like paul, paul bettany fights yeah. by <laughs> vampire monster <laughs> yeah. movies
1: yeah yeah
0: uh but was he an like, angel
1: in that one or he because wasn't he an angel in the other one i, I, don't I think remember. i
0: think in one he's an angel that like goes to the Vampires? No, no. And one he's a priest that hunts vampires, and the other one he's an angel. Yeah, I think he's protect the angel. He's protecting Adrian placky Anyway, uh, she she's paid her dues. Time yeah. for her to do good stuff because yeah. she's just she's been good in lots of bad stuff and good in Friday Night Lights yeah. when everybody was good in
1: exactly. Um, All right, so this, as promised, is a DC-oriented question. This question comes from Ian, and he says, Hey there, love the show. You guys talk a lot about Marvel, given Dave's leanings. That's not a big surprise. But I wish you guys could shine a light on all things all, all the good things going on in D.C. right now. Right at the top of the list, we've got Scott Snyder writing the flagship Batman and Superman titles, as well as Batman Eternal every freaking week and just kicking ass. If you don't want to read a comic where Batman rides a dirt bike and wrestle a lion, well, we can't be friends. Sorry. There's also the now-ended um, Azarello Wonder Woman run, Batgirl, Batgirl, both Gail Simone and the new team, Grayson, weird 60-ish spy stuff, Gotham by Midnight, basically supernatural in Gotham. Gotham Academy, Harry Potter and Gotham. Listen, I really like Batman. I know. There's even great stuff in Vertigo lately. The Kitchen, which is 70s mob wives take over their husband's business while they're in jail. And The Wake, which is alien-style horror. Just adding in my two cents, keep up the good work, Ian. Uh, I think I've mentioned the path that, that, that Gotham Academy is the series that I most want to get into next, but I'm kind of drowning in other things right now, but... It's It's been really interesting to me, and uh, we certainly don't want to uh, neglect Gotham titles, so Dave, do you have some input here?
0: <laughs> well, or DC titles, but especially the Gotham oh, titles. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, 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 no. Ian's right. Buy, always be buying a Batman book is a safe <laughs> way to live your life. Um. Yes. Uh. Snyder is the Scott, the trustable one, not Zach, the untrustable one. (laughs) Um. Everything he touches recently has been gold. Everything new, starting from the new Fifty Two Batman, I really realized sort of what he was doing. Uh, Superman went kind of crazy really fast. I, I hooked into it, but. This is not as pure as Batman, who started off with the uh, Court of Owls uh, storyline, then pushed into Night of Owls, which crossed over with all the other Batman titles, and sort of introduced me into the new 52 versions of those characters, and then finally sort of moved into uh, Death of the Family. After like a year or two, uh, we figured out what happened to Joker, who had last been seen cutting off his face. He returned, <laughs> uh, having strapped his dead face back to his uh, muscle face with a belt. Like you did. And- like yeah. You do. yeah and did kidnap the bat family and you know threaten to kill them and it was uh another excellent book that tied into all the bat books and uh recently my friend Julian had a birthday and i bought him the uh mask trade paperback set that comes with like the joker mask and uh, he sort of like opened it at the party and put on the creepy joker mask and he's like a korean guy and like had dark hair so it was like really weird to see a joker sort of coming out of that Um, but that got everybody started talking about Batman and it turns out that there are a lot of more people that are sort of, uh, keeping up with Snyder Batman than I knew it's just for some reason that I'm not publicly talking about it with as many people as I thought. But like everything, especially when um Robin or Damien dies and Batman or Robin changed to be Batman and and they would sub in another hero. That was really fun. All the Batman titles have consistently been good at D C for the past few years. Or if not consistently good, at least not bad enough that I want to give any of them up. Uh detective comics get spotty sometimes, but Still completely worth it. Um, also, New 52, I was on Animal Man. I dropped off. Swamp Thing dropped off, but the first two arcs on those were really, really good. Uh, Frankenstein, Agents of Shade, I did the first arc, and it was actually really enjoyable, but it just got sort of, I guess, sort of too fantasy-like for me without staying science-y enough, which is interesting because Green Lantern and Sinestro uh, are books that I will like pick up like every few weeks or if there's a cover that catches me. Uh, I don't do, like, full arcs of them. I just sort of, like, check in because the Green Lantern world's kind of crazy. And like, I, I think the best Green Lantern way is still trading paperbacks so you could read entire story arcs without having to remember where everybody is and what the powers are supposed to be and all that sort of thing. And especially with early New 52 with sort of, like, Red Lantern not being as awesome as it should have been. Anyway, I'm sorry. I'm rambling about New 52 stuff. That was years ago. <laughs> Gotham by Midnight. Really good right now. Uh, I've only read one issue of it, but it was excellent. Uh, Batgirl. Yeah, I've been hearing great things about I need to get around to. I haven't gotten to yet because I still have, like, a chip on my shoulder with DC and there are, like, a few women scandals that happened, like, a year ago. But, like, yeah, that's what happens. That,
1: the Batwoman stuff. And yeah, yeah, Batwoman
0: stuff and the Harley, Harley Quinn stuff, art contest. Yeah. Um and it's like when there are things out there that are by Marvel, who I have like a nostalgic, you know, connection to, and other studios like you know Icon and Boom Studios and Image, who I don't read enough titles from. Uh, occasionally, if there's a reason to like turn me off DC, I'll look up and realize that I haven't been reading DC books for like a year. So I'm gonna get I'm gonna get back to it. I'm gonna get better. Um, and it's always good to keep up with Batman. And superpowered Damien, man, that's been awesome. I think, I think, awesome. Whatever, Robins are. We'll have to have a whole conversation at some point. But Batman's relationship to the Robin character and all the different Robins. Oh,
1: okay, that sounds good. Um, so that hopefully that that is enough DC talk to. Satisfy people at least for one week. I mean, for a little bit. Maybe we, we have more DC to talk about in this episode. Actually, my um, the only Gail Simone title I've read is is Red Sonia, which is actually a Marvel title, but uh, I loved it. So you know, I think we will support Gail Simone and whatever it is she wants to do. Um. All right, so we're gonna swing back. <laughs> To Marvel, Uh, but you know, we'll come back to DC actually in a bit, but this is Zach from Oxford and he says, one of the indirect effects of the Spider-Man deal is the delay of most of the phase three Marvel films. This means that Inhumans will no longer debut in between the Infinity Wars movies. Do you think this will change the plot structure of Avengers 3? It has previously been reported that the Avengers, Captain Marvel, and Humans films would form a four-part story, book- bookended by two Infinity Wars films. However, the new schedule will mean they can no longer use Inhumans to propel the Infinity Gauntlet story forward. Will this matter? Will Black Panther be an adequate replace as inter Avengers movie? Uh, I, you know, Dave has been doing some research into this, but I just say no matter. I don't know if the answer is. It doesn't matter. That's that's a little weird to me. Anyway, Dave, what's your answer?
0: Um, I mean, it's not that it doesn't matter as much as I'm not sure what the interesting is thing is. Is do we get this four-part movie? Is not is what what does it mean that everything moved except Avengers: Infinity Wars Part One and Two? So that would imply to me that that's uh, those two movies are more locked in. Uh, they have an idea of sort of, you know, what the main thrust is, who the director is going to be, who the stars are going to be, uh, what the production budget's going to entail roughly and, you know, where in the world and, you know, if they're going to have to make deals in North Carolina or South Korea and all those sorts of things. You know, their big tent pole of the tentpole movies um, have to be planned way far out. So, because of that, I guess I'm wondering about like how Infinity War Part One and Infinity Part War Part Two would like relate to each other, because if they're like movie sequels, like you know Back to the Future movies or Hobbit movies, yeah. basically like picking up right after the events of Part One at the beginning of Part Two. Right. But comic books like also have things where you pick up just an indeterminate amount of time later because time has passed in the other connecting books. Uh, the crossover books. And so that's more of a thing where it's like the, you know, movies that take place in between Infinity War part one and part two would directly contribute into plot of part two um, it seems like if everything moved except for those two, we're looking more like movie version. And I think we have speculated previously in spoiler versions like what the surprises and money shots of Infinity Wars Part 2 are since they're really obvious, since they're the cap point of all of Marvel's been building to. And uh, but I think that the characters involved in that and what those things emotionally will be has already been laid down now or is in pre-existing scripts, which I think are through Doctor Strange at this point. Let me look at the release schedule really quick to make sure. Oh, Guardians of the Galaxy 2 exists. Never mind. Um, Okay, so Thor Ragnarok is still being drafted, might be locked so yeah, basically, they might, they're might they pretty close to having a script for Infinity War Part 1 if they don't already yet. I think those are all locked. Black Panther, Captain Marvel, and humans. The way Marvel works is sort of like the way Guardians of the Galaxy comes up, where they collect scripts from people about their properties. And they sit on them, and then when it makes sense to introduce that property... They give that script to a director or another writer who then adapts it into the movie. That's why James Gunn has a co-screenwriting credit on Guardians of the Galaxy with a woman who wrote the first draft of Guardians of the Galaxy and made it, you know, kind of adventure So all like a script for Black Panther exists, a script for Captain Marvel exists, a script for Inhumans exists. I don't think anybody was saying they connected to Infinity War because none of those scripts will have existed with the knowledge that there was going to be interconnected movies. And certainly not with the freedom to interconnect that heavily into movies. So basically, I think like everything got shuffled on the Etch-A-Sketch. But the two, you know, permanent scratches that we can't move are Infinity War Part 1 and 2. And I think that has something to say about what the content of those things are. Like, I think uh, it's unlikely we're going to see uh, Infinity Gems beyond the movies that already have scripts. So, like, I wouldn't look for Black Panther to have, like, the Time Gem or anything like that. But I don't, I'm not worried about humans or Captain Marvel because they're now not in between two Avengers movies.
1: Okay, so that's a great answer. I have another question for you, though. Yeah. Um, do you think it could possibly have anything to do with contracts, with needing to get those movies out at a certain time to fulfill uh, any contract legality uh, things? That's pure speculation, but I'm just wondering.
0: Um, Possibly. Possibly. I mean, uh, you would be talking about, like, characters that are going to come back that will be like approaching like their fourth and fifth installments in this universe and yeah i think that's that's definitely it but i don't think that's separate from what i was saying at all right i'm saying like all of these things like if they're you know for all we know they've built a set somewhere in the world that they know is in infinity wars part one and like that set's already there and it's just gonna You know pop up somewhere in the movies like we don't know we don't know where thanos's floating chair is or if it exists in reality yet we don't know what josh brolin is doing on his weekends so it's like (laughs) these things are already becoming to the point where they can't move uh so i mean the comments that were made earlier about like the inhumans and captain marvel like sort of bridging the gap between infinity wars part one and two that sort of stuff I think still can happen, but it's just a character swap. Now it's Black Panther and friends instead of Captain Marvel and friends. And, you know, they'll, they'll all do fine.
1: Um, okay. Well, that's interesting. I just think it's, uh, I will be interested to see, uh, to look at the connective tissue between all these films, knowing that they were shuffled the way that they were shuffled. I hear what you're saying about scripts not even being completed or, uh, you know, that sort of thing. But, um, it will be interesting to look at them and and think and you know just just fantasize about how certain films could have led into things that are now after and, and that sort of thing. So
0: I don't yeah, know I mean, I think, think say, it's more likely that like Captain Marvel opens and Carol Danvers is on a date with Peter Parker, and you just kind of forget that that ever wasn't going to be the perfect thing.
1: <laughs> are you back on like Carol Dan- Danvers might happen now? You seem yeah. so anti Carol Danvers happening, so I don't know.
0: Well, I mean, like not soon, but it'll show up. Maybe who knows?
1: <laughs> okay. Uh, these next two questions are basically covering the same thing. It's in response to these sort of piracy conversation we had two weeks ago. I want to say, um, where yeah. we o- we offered some ideas of how to read comics in an economical way. We talked about the concept of pirating uh, and these are two responses we got. One is from Francis from Oakland and he says, another option for the listener who asked about cheaper ways to read comics, go to your local local library. These days they often have a lot of graphic novels and trays to check out. They may be in the young adult slash children's section. I'm lucky to live in a metropolitan area where I can request comics to be sent from other branches in the city and neighboring cities, but I know a lot of libraries have interlibrary loan programs to open up the selection. When I'm curious about a series but don't want to spend 15 to 30 dollars for a collection that's where I look like with pirating the creators don't get any money this way but it's legal and more ethical and this other answer comes from Mike from Riverside, uh, and he. this is called Solutions so you don't have to pirate things. He also echoes the Use Your Local or College Library recommendation, but he also goes on to recommend Hubble Bundles. They are amazing. Out of the seven to eight offered, I bought five often at $15 tier and gotten everything. It's too good a deal, uh, and I give most of it to the charity. Number three, look at this site, Comic Book. Plus it's a database that has scans of large amounts of golden age, public domain comics. You can read classic Sh- Shazam. Uh, and it's an interesting portal to another era of comics. And number four, if you have a comic reading friends, mooch off of them and set up a book sharing program. <laughs> and that's what I do a lot is I mooch off of people. Uh, Dave, do you want to describe more of the, the concept of humble bundles? Or no, I thought for some reason you had used it, but I,
0: Oh, and n- no. I mean, it sounds like an interesting thing. I was just going to add that yeah. like the day we added that podcast, Scribd, Unleashed Comics. I think uh, more than ten thousand from Marvel, Archie, Boom, Dynamite, IDW, Top Shelf, and Valiant. And uh, Scribd is a ebook, audiobook book, uh, like n- subscription service, like Netflix. So all of a sudden that opened up. And then um, co- someone also brought up to me comic, uh, comicsology comi- sales. Which um, is actually great in the sense that if there's something in the zeitgeist, comicsology will notice and discount those digital issues, so if you are doing digital, which you might remember, I did not recommend right. there is cheaper <laughs> ways of doing digital uh than, than that. Okay, so I think script is like eight ninety nine a month.
1: Humble Bundles, previously known as Humble Indie Bundles, are a series of collections of digital creations that are sold and distributed online at a price determined by the purchaser. The bundles are typically offered on a semi-regular basis and during a two-week period, sales often include bonus games or media offered midweek through the sale for those who have already purchased the bundle or otherwise pay more than the average. And then it says sales of bundles are split between the developers slash creators, the Humble Bundle operators, and one or more charities including Child's Play, the Electronic Frontier Foundation, and the American Red Cross. So yeah, this is, I guess this started about five years ago based out of San Francisco, California. What, what? Uh, So that sounds kind of interesting. You might want to check
0: that out. Yeah. Well, I definitely that sounds like something worth checking out. I just, it's interesting. I bought. Oh, I wasn't talking about you. I was talking
1: about the listener. I wasn't like you might want to check that out, Dave. God, was not. Well, no. I mean, I I, I, I do. I bought
0: (laughs) something. I bought similar things through like. Well, no, I don't want to say it's similar because I don't. I haven't. I haven't bought a humble bundle yet. To be continued. I suppose new ways of buying comics. Why not? That store I went to in Denver again was once again not open just because the dude was out to lunch.
1: <sighs> dude at local Denver comic book shop, get your get your hours together.
0: It's cool. I don't have to throw out their name. He knows who he is.
1: <laughs> He's definitely listening to this. Um, all right. So this, this question is actually uh, DC related. This comes from John from New York. I'm going to give us a little cookie every time we answer a DC question. Uh, just, li- <laughs> see, just so, see, we just so you notice, we don't just talk about Marvel. Um, all right, so this is John from New York, and he says, "I understand your differing opinions, Re Arrow versus Flash, the series, not the episode, where in the two fight."
0: Differing like one is correct and one is incorrect,
1: right? Like Dave is incorrect and I'm correct, but regardless oh, of which right. show is best, I think many comics fans would agree that both shows have great merit and are certainly superior to the sole DCU Snyderverse canon film thus far. My question is, why would WB spend so- no small amount of money launching a Flash show and then cast a completely different actor as a Flash in Justice Justice League 1 and 2 and his own movie coming out in two years. Do they... Do you think they expect the Grant Gustin version will be cancelled by then? Or do you think they're just not as ambitious, as ambitious as Marvel in terms of tying the small and big screens to the same universe? Uh, so he's speaking of Ezra Miller, who was cast as the Flash in the uh, the film version of the Justice League. Um. And... We talked about this a little bit before with the Joker and and the two different things. And I think DC, yeah, it's it's not about ambition. DC is just taking a different approach, which is separating their television and their film. And the awkward way that S.H.I.E.L.D. sometimes interacts, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. sometimes interacts with the Marvel films, like I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. Or the fact that Agent Carter continues to be charming, but also it's so obvious how much cheaper it is than Captain America. So it's... uh, I don't know, there, there, there are benefits and drawbacks to both approaches. Dave, what's your your answer
0: here? I'm going to say 100% just not as ambitious. Um, Stephen O'Malley, who plays Arrow, uh, was saying around the time of the casting of Ezra Miller that it was kind of a dick move for Warner Brothers for not letting like CW Flash even get off the ground before immediately there was another Flash. But you know the nature of the company and their like, crisis of infinite Earths or, I'm, I'm sorry, Crisis on Infinite Earths, which I occasionally call Infinite Crisis, which is something different, which somebody has corrected me on. Yes, I heard you. Um, means that, <laughs> like, eventually, like, later on down the line, if they want to, like, slam everything together, they could have multiple versions. They could do a multiverse story. It's, like, sort of built into DC's, you know, line already with Flash and certain revelations about Reverse Flash or getting the idea that there's lots of everything in the multiverse. So, uh, I mean, DC, if anybody, could do this and could this could reveal to be ambition, but I think it's more like uh, we're going to have a TV series it's going to be its thing, and then we're going to have this movie series that has to precipitate a whole bunch of other series and it has to be its own thing. Um, uh, but the sad thing is that unlike Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which it sometimes feels smaller in comparison to things like Captain America and, uh, Iron Man, uh, the Flash, the TV show is pretty, doing a pretty good job at looking like a movie. So I'm not sure how big like a movie Flash needs to look to be a different character. I think it's definitely something they could meld together if they wanted to, but because it's DC and DC's a multiverse company that's eventually on Why? in the cards if it, they can massage it together.
1: Why do the CW shows look so much better than the UBC shows?
0: Mm, I don't know. I think they when they chose like a visual style for the universe, uh they had the benefit of not basing it off of a John Favreau movie.
1: Maybe, that's a good point. And they're overall darker. So they can get away with more, probably. It's darker or the Agents of Shield is relentlessly bright. Um
0: I think that's gonna start changing.
1: Possibly. Uh, I mean the the Sky's transformation, Agents of Shield was was in, it took place in a cavern. So at least that looked pretty good. Um <laughs> Yeah,
0: and they're at least finally being like Oh, maybe just warehouses are okay instead of like mansions for some businessman in like London. Like, why are you spending that money? You, you just do, just like give people superpowers and <laughs> do it in a warehouse. So, like Flash and Arrow do Well, it, I mean, it should fine. look
1: better than Lois and Clark, the Avengers, Superman, and it doesn't. Because we're like 15 years away from that series and it should look much better than that. Um, and I want that to say,
0: that flash is amazing doing amazing is this, is things this right this now. Where for we're its
1: fighting about flash and arrow.
0: Oh, are we going to do that now? Is there nothing left that we do? Not, do we not throw down about flash and arrow? Yeah, let's do it now.
1: No, we have more to talk about, but, um, we're not really going to throw down about flash and arrow because I'm two episodes behind on flash. So you can't even really fight with me because your words mean nothing. But I, I do think we should talk about this episode of arrow at least Uh, because not only because I watched it, it, but also because it did this thing where we've had this character of Laurel played by Kitty Cassidy, uh, who's been so problematic and they've been trying to slip her into, you know, the shoes of a, a more popular character, Sarah Lance. And, um, in this episode, we had Laurel, you know, accidentally taking these drugs and... Hallucinating, Sarah
0: and I just laugh because you called that an accident. She got, she like, got
1: jabbed with a hypodermic needle got, a couple times.
0: A villain threw a yeah. needle into her neck. Why
1: she wasn't taking them herself is what.
0: I it asked. was an accident. I ended up all super drugged. i just, I just, I like the idea that that sort of assault is an accident in your mind. I, it makes the world seem super <laughs> random.
1: Okay. Um
0: <laughs> <laughs> this is how the entire conversation's going to go because Flash is the better TV show, but go ahead.
1: Like I can't tell if you just did an impression of me or an impression of Peter Stormare. Like I don't know who that was an impression of, but um
0: that's how versatile I am. Uh,
1: okay. Anyway, the point being that Sarah, the the drug hallucination of Sarah Lance st- stood as an audience proxy. Beat crap out of Laurel and called her all kinds of names and told her she wasn't good enough. Which is everything that that fans and commenters have been saying about uh, Laurel and Kitty Cassidy. Um, which I think is an interesting way to address that. Do you? And I feel like it probably went some distance towards winning some audience sympathy. And I also think that what they're doing with Thea is great. Because that character is really very interesting to me. And I really, I I think it's a pleasure to watch Willa Holland on screen because she is smart and beautiful and wonderful. And I think that there should be more of her and less of a lot of other characters. You said to me offline and we can, aud- we can, uh, off air, and we can argue about it here, but you continue to hammer home this assassination of Felicity uh, character point to yep. me but what i'll tell you is that i didn't really care that much about felicity to begin like felicity's this big favorite character but i don't really care about her ever that much so whatever they do to felicity i care less about so
0: well i mean it's fine that she descends as laurel you know sort of becomes Laura and thea become okay again like there's everything's on the table everyone knows how they feel about each other Which is great because the thing I dislike the most about soap operas is the willful keeping of secrets, even though logically there's no reason to keep the secret. It's like, hey, my my sister's been an assassin being trained by the guy that killed my mother and my best friend, but I can't let her know that I'm Arrow because what would she think that I was lying to her? Like, Jesus Christ, Ollie, you just came back from the dead being thrown off a cliff by an immortal guy. You stabbed you in, like, the chest. Like, how are these two things comparable her. problems? But then he yeah, told her. That? Like, right so away. Like yes. he,
1: like I thought they we were gonna drag that out, and he didn't. He just told her. So. No, good.
0: No, no, that's that's good. I'm praising okay. it for that.
1: No, you were complaining about something that they did right. Weirdly, okay. Anyway, what's next?
0: Oh no, I was complaining that it hadn't happened up until this point. Okay. But uh, never mind. The as soon as you are gonna go fight Raza Ghul for your sister, tell your sister what you're doing. That's just like that. That's probably me engaging that's with the show. superhero one one.
1: Come on. All right.
0: But point being is that Felicity's now a character that yells and cries each episode, and it, it's just like this weird thing where it's like I don't know what her ultimate goal is anymore. She's not in it for the city. She's maybe in it to protect people that she loves, but she doesn't want to have a relationship with any of the people that she loves. The character got tied up into a little ball, not because of like necessarily bad decisions, but because all these other things that had been not happening around her like created this void for somebody charming to walk through and she did and then everyone was like oh since she's charming and we like ollie therefore they must be a couple and then i think
1: that's the stupidest thing the show did yeah, putting the two of them together, and and anyway, now they backed
0: out of it, and they can't back out of it without damaging the character because the character it doesn't have a basis because I mean, that they, scene they're was making it up as they go along.
1: stupid and annoying when she's like, "I don't want to be a woman that you love." I mean, that was a really awful scene, and I agree, like most of Felicity stuff I'm kind of checking out from at this point. she's wrong most of
0: the time. You could even see it in the way that they're dressing her now. She's just a horrible character this season. I don't like her at all.
1: How are they dressing her differently?
0: She's uh, like a super business chic now. She's not weird IT tech geek. She's she was the never secretary. weird
1: IT tech geek. She was always wearing what drove me crazy about Felicity. One of the many things that drove me crazy about Felicity is um, how they gave her all these like midriff and cutout. And that works for Thea because Thea runs a club. So when Thea is like walking around with like you know never met a like a cutoff shirt she didn't like it works for me because that's like what her world is but felicity yeah is this like it geek and she was always wearing these like skin tight dresses with cutouts in them it was very strange to me this isn't her wardrobe is not a new development it's been a weird development for a while now
0: i seem to recall how to
1: dress laurel either they put her in the weird pantsuits that she should never be in anyway i seem to
0: recall season one felicity always having a collar
1: season one maybe but she was like just recurring at that point when before she became a regular and they were like oh people like her we're gonna make her super cute i'm super cute it means skin tight clothing with cutouts and well, like i said fine. that's fine we're on a downward slide a but now
0: i've noticed that she's like <sighs> business secretary okay. and then it you know also relegated to only that role and that's gross
1: Alright, so my homework assignment tonight is to watch is catch up on the flash.
0: Oh my god, yes, time travel.
1: Okay, so then we can talk about it next week. That's my promise to you. I will do that tonight.
0: And they even had they figured out a way to do a love story that I didn't dislike with Firestorm. It's not they wasn't pulled off in the best possible way, but I'm, I'm was...
1: behind. Stop talking about it. Why are you doing that? Okay. Um let's shake the edge of sketch. <laughs>
0: very well Uh, we we can't move infinity wars though that stays where it is
1: okay all right we'll just we'll just move in humans further on down the line um all right so this comes from ryan from melbourne and he says i'm a big fan of the podcast and i just wanted to write in to ask about your feelings towards mark miller i enjoy most of his stuff and i also strongly dislike his stuff uh, but one of my favorite books of all time ever is *Superior*. I just wanted to know what you think of his work, and also what his work is, tra- how his work is translating to film. Frankly, I loved *The Secret Service* and *Kick-Ass*. Enjoyed *Wanted* and loathed *Kick-Ass* too. I'm also looking forward to *Civil War*, but I don't think that'll have much to do with his work. Okay.
0: So-
1: <coughs> Excuse my coughing. Okay.
0: This is a good one. Have you read? Uh, any mark miller comics that you've also seen movies for
1: uh yes i read wanted and saw the movie so i've seen kick-ass wanted and kingsman colon, the secret service and uh and uh, oh i've seen kick-ass too yeah um and so i wanted to say that i really enjoyed kick-ass and Kingsman, but I don't know how much that has to do with Matthew Vaughn and how much that has to do with Mark Miller or the combination of the two. Uh, the really interesting thing to me about Kingsman, which I liked more than most, I think, but also had some weird issues with, uh, is it almost seemed to me like, and this is me taking a slight right turn. Dave's going to come back and talk a bit more about the comics, but it almost seemed like Matthew Vaughn, like they kicked him off. Um, X-Men or or however you want to spin that narrative, I don't know, but he did X-Men First Class which I loved, and then Brian Singer took back control of the X-Men franchise. And then he went to go do Kingsman Secret Service and it's basically it's kind of X-Men First Classy, especially this one scene where the bit of the manicured lawn in front with a logo on it in front of the manor like sinks into the ground and then the craft comes up out of the ground you know that our that our heroes are flying on um it it, it was was just felt very x-men first class to me in a great way because i loved that movie i loved kingsman as well it was different enough that it didn't feel samey but it sort of felt like matthew Vaughn's like well fuck you guys i'm gonna do it without the actual mutants i'll just do it with dapper englishmen so fine (laughs) um and that worked for me wanted i liked the comic better than i liked the movie despite liking a lot of the players in the film but uh, some concepts, I think, work better on page than they do on screen, and that might be true for uh, Looms of Destiny and Wanted. Anyway, Dave, mm, what are your thoughts?
0: The Looms of Destiny were not in the comic book Wanted.
1: Well, there, that, that makes more sense.
0: Yeah, the comic book Wanted was like a hyper-violent M&M starring venture. Uh, anyway... Uh yeah I don't know I, I think I like the movie Wanted but it's definitely the thing that was adapted the furthest away from Mark Miller's work, um uh, because Kickass and Kingsman are I believe creator owned so he brought those with Matthew Vaughn, who's gotten really good at translating Mark Miller's work. I like Mark Miller's work a lot. Um he's really good at uh like hitting the shock value factor of whatever characters he's working with and then finding some sort of theme within that, uh, superior is a good example of that. Um, and I think uh, the f- second kick ass is probably an okay example of that, even though it was, it isn't as good as kick ass one. Uh, but sometimes he gets like kind of rapey for no reason and <laughs> kind of violent and ugly for no reason. Um, And it's like that sort of stuff can be dumbed down and then you could keep the core ideas of it. Like you don't have to have the Ultimates, you know, have Hank Pym uh, assault his wife with ant spray uh, instead of slapping her because he's this crazy supervillain wife abuser. You could just make the Avengers with Joss Whedon and basically cop all the good things about the other characters you adapted. And that's like a great example of like taking something Mark Miller and filtering it through. And so both ideas literally have only the uh, gold come through uh, the other side, much like panning for gold in some sort of river. I don't know how I'm building that metaphor (laughs) because that's not related to anything else. But yeah, I don't know. Um, I'm very happy with where he is right now, uh, making his own sort of books and his own story worlds. I think that's definitely where he deserves to be. And then his sort of foray into teaming up with people to translate those into uh, movies has uh, also been excellent. Um, but saying that, I, I'm he's not something that I like. love everything that he does because occasionally uh, his shocks go too far.
1: Which is a which is I I haven't read the Secret Service comic book, but Kingsman does have a sequence that, uh, and I know you guys have talked about it on fighting in fighting the War Room, so you might be aware. I don't know if we want to talk about it here, but definitely had a moment that <laughs> I like couldn't believe happened, and it was a level of violence that I I don't consider myself squeamish, but it was a level of violence that I just wasn't sure what tone they were trying to trying to strike with it. So
0: yeah the kick ass Two movie is a good example um of uh, just not being able to get far enough away from the ugly parts of Miller I think because mm. that uh, that narrative is really weird and has a lot to do with the motherfucker character who uh, is just really ugly and gross everywhere he goes, so everything that was fun about you know kids being superheroes becomes this like. I like it's suddenly not fun anymore to see Chloe Moretz kill people. It just becomes like you suddenly are like, that's a little girl killing people. And it, it misses that line of fun violence, but it sounds like the Kingsman doesn't. So that's good.
1: Yeah. Um, I don't know. There's some questions about it. We, we can talk about it after you've seen it. Maybe, uh, I know some people had an objection to a sexualized joke at the end, which I did not have any objection to. Um, And I I think it's weirder that they would object to that versus the most violent set piece of the film. Well, there's two very, very violent set pieces in the film. Anyway, but it it was a great time in the movies. That's what I'll say. Very violent, edgy sexual humor. Great time at the movies. That's my (laughs) review of Kingsman um all right so this question comes from jack uh he says so now the daredevil tra- trailer is out i want to start my homework before april 10th where do you suggest beginning i was thinking of frank miller's daredevil volume one but it could be wrong so any advice is appreciated uh this one i hand completely over to dave
0: um uh, the netflix uh series look like they're going to be based on the work of brian michael bendis the most uh very influential writer at marvel now so i would say Pay your dues, uh, go to Amazon. I'll link to this in the episode notes and buy yourself the Daredevil Ultimate Collection Book 1 for the Brian Michael Bendis and Alex Maleev run. Uh, It is really good. And then uh, uh, Ultimate Collection Book 2, also really good. The entire run is really good. Uh, It's my second favorite Daredevil run.
1: And your first is?
0: Mark Waid's. And then my third is Frank Miller's.
1: Frank Miller's is the one I've read, so... Well, go. I mean,
0: it's good, but it's darker than it needs to be. The, it's like, Isn't that just Frank
1: Miller's life motto, darker than it needs
0: to be? Yeah, and it was an important time to bring that to comics and to Batman and Daredevil, I think especially, uh, just like street-level, uh, brutal characters. But uh, a lot of things that Frank Miller established... Bendis developed and then Wade, I think, found the ultimate fruition of in terms of uh, the balance between grit and tone. But, you know, different strokes, different blokes. If you were just reading for the Netflix series, though, the Bendis is where to start and not necessarily Frank Miller's because we're not going to be seeing an Electra. We're going to be seeing more stuff that happened during the Bendis run.
1: All right, so this last question is is one that I actually would love listeners to uh, give us your feedback on as well. So either via email or you can tweet at us or whatever you want. We have no spoiler section this week. We got mostly our feedback was don't even worry about the spoiler section. Uh, we still might be careful with some of the deeper stuff that Dave knows about uh, just to protect you. But, uh, you know, in general, I appreciate your feedback that the spoiler section is a little more kid gloves than you actually need but this last question just a fun question comes from john deep in the heart of texas and he writes in lieu of spider-man becoming part of the marvel cinematic universe and a new spider-man being cast i am reminded of my nostalgia for toby Maguire's performance yes i know it was not the best writing especially compared to recent superhero movies and Maguire had interesting acting choices but it was endearing if anything what are your superhero guilty pleasures Okay, so I'm gonna admit mine first. Yeah. Which <laughs> Well, I don't know. Looking at yours, you didn't pick superheroes like exclusively either, so this counts. Which is.
0: What um, I pick? What do you mean? I didn't pick super superheroes su- exclusively.
1: Super villain.
0: Oh, oh, that exclusively. I thought you were gonna be like, i uh, I like the comic book about mouse, and therefore this obscure Swedish cartoon. No, okay, fine. Uh, I, no. I'm super villain, Super Fine. Superhero. supervillain. Right. Comic book based super Someone character. Who
1: could be seen wearing tights and a cape,
0: maybe. Yeah, cool. Okay, cool.
1: Uh, so, my answer is Jim Carrey's The Riddler. Um, oh, nice. Which I, you know, I don't know if it was just the right time in my life. Uh, though I was like less impressed with Tommy Lee Jones's
0: uh, Two Face, but. um Well, he was phoning that in. He admits that even now. Does he? Yeah, he was like, uh, he did that for his kids, and he's like, my kids want me to do it. And even Jim Carrey's like, he would be horrible to me on set, because he did not want to be there. Uh, So so we now know that Tommy Lee Jones phoned in Two-Face, but he was purple, it was fine.
1: I mean, confirming what we we already suspected, but um, I didn't do my homework, which was I was going to, oh, here it is, good, I found it. I was going to look up who played him uh frank Which gorshin name? frank oh. gorshin who played in okay so my i used to love the adam west show the adam west batman mm-hmm. and there's a movie that has the entire rogues gallery of batman villains of uh, an adam west batman Batman movie. the movie yeah batman the movie 1966 Yeah, and uh, <laughs> frank yeah, gorshin you're talking to me frank gorshin plays the riddler and that's that's the ultimate riddler to me Actually, so you know, it's not like Jim Carrey is my iconic Riddler, but I still, I just love what he did with it. So,
0: have you seen a lot of the Batman 66 series?
1: Uh, no,
0: you need to. Oh, yeah yeah, 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 he, he is yeah. doing Sorry,
1: like the TV show, yes, yes. Yeah.
0: He yeah. is doing, everybody remembers Adam West's performance, he yeah. is doing the memorable performance of that entire series, Frank Borsen, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. So, the Riddler has always been this character that I've loved. Uh, so I, I was, I was predisposed to like Jim Carrey, like just the Riddler being in a movie made me excited. Um, I don't know if I mentioned this before, but I definitely, uh, won a poster, of Jim Carrey as the Riddler at the Marin County Fair by tossing, like, a <laughs> ping-pong ball into a goldfish bowl. Um, and I definitely had it in my room for a long time. So I was in sixth grade when when Batman Forever came out. And, yeah, that's my that's my guilty superhero pleasure. So
0: Oh, God, that's great. <laughs> just I, Well, see, the nice <laughs> thing about I want to talk more about Riddler. Oh, the okay. nice thing about both these guys is they, they both committed to something, to playing the Riddler, that's, like, that's not, like... What do you do? Like, the course, is like, well, Batman, (laughs) the question is, will you make the correct decision in time or sacrifice the boy wonder? And he's prancing. It's like, oh, my God, this guy's having so much fun. And then Jim Carrey, like, does this weird thing where, like, the smarter he gets, the more pansexual he gets. (laughs) Yeah. And, like, is obviously crushing on Bruce Wayne the entire time. And his just body this, like, is this... just,
1: like, curved, like, a question mark itself. You know, he's, like, clad in green spandex. And then just, like, his long Jim Carrey rubber body is just, like, bending every Which way? He's got that bright red Well, in hair, a movie where and, like,
0: every other masculine super character gets put into something that accentuates his physique or like how well dressed he is jim carrey's the only person that just goes like put me in spandex i'm not working out this is the riddler <laughs> and yeah. it's like you could i i really admire that i could i admire the commitment of batman forever to like we're gonna do a neon semi-serious batman universe yeah Where Jim Carrey puts on a fake mole to look like Val Kilmer, and like, this is what we're doing. (laughs) The problem was that Batman and Robin did all that without any of the joy and none of the logic. But like, Batman forever, like, commit to a crazy idea and I'll still follow you off the cliff. Which means for my superhero guilty pleasures, commit (laughs) to a crazy idea and I'll follow you off a cliff. On screen, Colin Farrell's Bullseye from Daredevil, or Wesley Snipes' Blade from the first two Blade movies. The third one, whatever. He's just doing his thing, and it's horrible. And Ryan Reynolds and Parker Posey can't save him. On the page, um, obviously, I'm a Spider-Man Clone Saga fan, especially the character Ben Riley, The actual Spider-Man who they killed off for a second time in Spider-Verse this month, so I'm obviously uh, in a minority for this, but um my friend julian says on my tombstone they should put stalwart defender of lesser spider-man uh- <laughs> and that is me
1: excellent so yeah if you guys want to write in with your superhero supervillain, guilty pleasures i would love to know your answer to that so email us at bubbleyourthoughts at com or find me on twitter at joe wrote this dave where can people find you
0: Sometimes you just can't get rid of a bomb. Uh you can find me <laughs> on Twitter at DA Seven E or online at latino review dot com and Forbes dot com. All right. Oh, and fighting in the warroom dot com and Batman v Superman Enter the night dot com and Republic City dot com.
1: Um <laughs> If you're looking for any more episodes of Thought Bubble, you can find them. I'm sorry, so Enter the Night, is it Enter the Kinnegut, right?
0: Batman V Superman um, Enter the Night spelled the K. Uh,
1: enter the Kinnegut. All right. And then or finding the warroom slash com Or finding the com slash com Or whatever. Anyway, you guys can find us. You know where to find us. Uh you're listening to us already. That means you found us. Uh and that's about it for us this week. Thanks for indulging us fighting over felicity and other things we will be back to talk about uh flash next week and and any of your other questions keep them coming